So my name is Lynette Cochet. I am the head of events and partnerships here across campus. Uh, we're a co-working space based out of Los Angeles, California. You raised the bar on how nice people dressed at the office because <laughs> everyone else is like barely out of pajamas. I think because I wear heels every day and there's concrete floors, it's also this stomping that it, you it, it is not that. It is the whole ensemble. Do you see how people dress at I cross know. campus? I know. So for me, it's still a step down because I was so dressed up before, right? So I had suits all the time, heels all the time. So this is dressed down, which is nice because it's more comfortable. But I don't know if I can come in in joggers yet. I have sneakers on today, though. They're also like fancy. <laughs> I'm an events geek, nerd. Uh, I love events. I love events from, you know, the small dinner parties that you have in your house to the really big festivals. Um, I can't walk through an event without thinking about all the, the logistics of it. Um, sometimes it's annoying because you get really irked when you're when you think you could be doing things a little bit better. And sometimes it's completely jaw dropping and awe inspiring and you just want to be better at what it is that you do. Yeah. I went to a Kappa Ball recently. It was a black and white affair. Um, and it was lovely, and they had this huge programming, and it was great. And at one moment, the MC asked for the AV guys to bring the house lights up just to recognize people that were in the audience. Well, he forgot to bring them down for like half an hour. And that entire half hour, I couldn't focus on any piece of the program because these lights weren't back down. And I kept looking at every corner to see where he was to see if I can give him a cue to bring them down. Um, that's the that's the downside of what it is that we do, that you get distracted sometimes at events because of small things like that. So tell me about your life before you started high school. So where did you grow up? Do you have siblings? What's that? Sure. So I'm originally from New York City. Um, the yeah. real New York City, the not like outside. City, not in the outskirts. <laughs> but I'm from New York City, the actual New York City inside of it. I'm from Washington Heights um, and Inwood. So I was raised, I was born in the Heights, uh, grew up in Inwood until I was about eight years old. Uh, is the Heights, is that Lin-Manuel? Is that where his first yes. play is based on? Okay. Yes. Okay. Which I saw four, four times. <laughs> <laughs> two times off Broadway before people even knew what it really? was. Two times on Broadway. I mean, I was a fan. And I used to run into him at coffee shops in Harlem um, all the time, even after in the Heights. So, yes, it's, it's you know, Washington Heights, the Heights for short. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I grew up in, I, I was born in Washington Heights, grew up in Inwood uh, until I was about eight, nine years old. Um, my parents are Dominican. They immigrated you know, they settled in Washington Heights, Inwood. It used to be an Irish and Jewish community. And throughout the 80s and 90s, it became predominantly Dominican. So, you know, we were on our little island. We were like a little Caribbean island on this really big American island called Manhattan um, and uptown. I had two brothers. Older? I have two older brothers. And we just used to run amok in Inwood. What were some of your interests or things you loved to do? So as a kid, I was a tomboy, an uncoordinated tomboy. So I had two older brothers and they're five and seven years apart from me. So they're just a good amount older than I was. Um, and in my, you know, in my family, I'm very close to my cousins, but they were all boys. 
with the exception of one other girl. And she lived half, half the time in the Dominican Republic, half the time in New York. And she was kind of a tomboy too. So we were never very girly girls. But my mother, you know, she had, she had three kids. Two boys and a girl. And she waited out for the girl because she wanted a girl. A girl. <laughs> and then she got a tomboy. <laughs> and then she got a tomboy. And, but she really wanted a girl. She wanted a girl to wear dresses, mm-hmm. skirts, and put pretty things in bows. So I kind of grew up in this, this mix of, I was kind of a tomboy because I used to like climbing on stuff and like playing video games with my brothers and mm-hmm. fighting with them, like physically fighting with them. Um, but my mom made me wear skirts. <laughs> And, you know, I liked looking pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a little weird. In school, I really, I was kind of, I was a nerd. I was always pulled into, like, gifted classes. So I grew up going to public school in New York. And they always identify students from a really young age. They put you in a gifted class. From that gifted class, there was a really great uh, junior high school in New York called Mott Hall. It was a public school that you had to test and interview to get into it was elementary and junior high school I went from the fourth to the eighth grade how did you feel did you want to go to it yeah it was cool like Mm -hmm. I got to be in a class that did better things than other people I you know we were reading far ahead of other students you know you tested into the school the school had a lot of prestige what about the school made it special like how was how was the school structured differently than other schools yeah so it was focused on math and science um it was a lot smaller than the other schools. So New York City public school system is massive. Mm-hmm. The schools are massive. And they were focused on math, science, and technology. We had all these programs um, that would come in. We would have people from like J.P. Morgan come in and teach business classes and finance classes oh, to fifth graders. Wow. Bill Gates went in and donated our computer lab to our oh, school. Wow. And because we were, you know, a magnet school, we were sort of, we were kind of raised to know that and our expectations were much higher. It was really like, no, you have to do better <laughs> than yeah. whatever it is that you're doing. You yeah. are in a magnet school. Um, so I think that kind of laid the foundation of just the way that I kind of am. The downfall to our school and the New York City Post, you know, we didn't have extracurricular activities really. And why didn't they? Um, space, our school was really small. Okay. Probably budget also. Uh, what I did participate in was a group that came in from the outside called NDI, National Dance Institute. Okay. You know, if you wanted to be a part of them, you could stay behind and they did it in like our cafeteria and you take dance classes mm-hmm. once or twice a week, I think, mm-hmm. um, and do a performance every year. Oh, okay. How was the commute from where you lived to that school? Yeah, so that school was in Harlem and we moved in between me being at that school. So mm-hmm. I lived in Inwood, which was, my street was 204 mm-hmm. as a kid. Then we moved to 160th. Okay. About four or five miles away. Yeah. Um, and then my school from there was a little bit further down. Um, when you are in the fourth and fifth grade, mm-hmm. you take a bus. Okay. So um, somebody would walk me to Broadway and wait for the bus. Um, but sixth grade, you're on your own. And Really? You take, yeah. You have to take the train? You have to take the pu- public transportation. Wow. It was great. So as a kid, you're so independent mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. You know, I knew how to navigate the train system. I knew how to navigate the bus system. And then it makes you super curious. Okay. So you go there through eighth grade. And then what type of high school did you go to? Yeah. So I went to another like magnet school. Okay. So they're called specialized high schools in New York. And again, you have to test 
to get into them. And part of, you know, going to Mott Hall in junior high school was having access, like I said, to all these other groups that were interested in us. And one of them was a group that was developed specifically at the time for my the kids in my school. And it was called HEAF. Instead for Harlem Educational Activities Fund. What their intent was, was to take kids who were smart from an underserved community mm-hmm. and ensure their success through high school and college. Starting in the eighth grade, the first thing that they did was that they gave us prep classes for the exam to get okay. into specialized high school. If you got into a specialized high school, you can continue on into the program. So did the program, got into Brooklyn Tech. I was so excited because I was going to go to Brooklyn. Like, mm-hmm. like the commute was painful, but yeah. like, I went to school in Brooklyn. The focus uh, in education was uh, math, science, engineering, and technology. Um, but in your sophomore year, at the end of your sophomore year, you have to pick a major. So it's kind of like college. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you pick? And I ended up choosing architecture. Um, and it was pretty cool. It was very different than what I thought it was going to be. What? How so? So when I, you know, I thought architecture, I thought it was a lot of freehand drawing. I thought I was going to be drawing buildings and bridges and yeah. were you a good drawer? Things. I was okay. It wasn't that. So we learned how to use AutoCAD and it was CAD all day, all night. And I was really good at CAD became, you know, really good at using CAD without paying a lot of attention. (laughs) One of my teachers shared his classroom with an engineering teacher. And one day he asked me if I wanted to help him on a project for school. Our school had gotten a really massive grant from the alumni. I think it was like a $10 million endowment from our alumni. High schools have endowments. Um, a high school that has really smart people had graduated yeah. our school and really attributed their success to our school mm-hmm. and started giving money back. But they wanted to start seeing programs put into action. Because he's like, you know, would you mind coming in like one or two lunch periods a week and like helping me with mm-hmm. data entry or like all these other things? Yeah. Because you have to do community service in our school. In order to graduate, my junior year, an internship became available for an architecture firm. Were you thinking of that as something that you wanted to do as a career? So then this internship yeah. was... Yeah, it big. definitely was. Um, you know, I was super interested in it. I loved learning about buildings. And I think part of that is just like growing up in New York, there's just so, there's so many buildings. So I loved it. I loved the opportunity. And I, and I went and I interned at this architecture firm and I spent half my time you know, cataloging massive blueprints, which is great because I start going through them and looking at them. Mm-hmm. And the other time working with their marketing department, you know, whether it's like grant proposals or putting together packets for their, for their press kits. But I then saw what the architects did. So by the time that I was a senior in high school, I was like, I don't think I want to be an architect. I'm very, very thankful for having had that opportunity to experience that at a really young age. Um, my high school experience wasn't just my school. Yeah. It was, I had my school, I had an internship Mm -hmm. and I kind of, you know, dealt with grownups and adults on the outside. I went to a school outside of it. And so I had this population of kids that I knew outside of my school. Mm -hmm. And then I had Heath. So Heath was the program Mm -hmm. um, and they were great. So they, they tracked and monitored monitored you through your high school career. And I was more afraid of showing my report card to them than my parents because 
part of the program was like you couldn't get below I think an eighty in a class or an okay. eighty-five, and if you did, you had to go to tutoring. Hmm. So they, they were they were you, you were going to pass. You're going to pass. You're going to pass. You're going to do well. So you know, I used to. I didn't always get eighty-five in some of my classes. So I used to have to go to tutoring, and we would have meetings, and we would have retreats, and they would they would give you these life skills. Um, to just to really prep you for college. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I remember the, the most and best was, um, well, there's two of them. One was speech, right? Mm-hmm. So we had this woman from Juilliard um, come in and just work on our speech. Yeah. You know, your comfort speaking mm-hmm. in front of people. And that was for prepping for college interviews. The other one was a, uh, one of our retreats. I always remember this conversation about being bicultural. The majority of the, the students in Heath were either first, second generation Latino students or um, African-American kids. And they taught us about being bicultural. So we read, you know, things like Julia Alvarez's books. And she has this book about, you know, coming in and like, She's completely different than her family back home mm. because she knows English yeah. and she's living this like double life. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this double life that you live as a child of immigrant parents or even as an African-American kid who's, you know, one step further than what your parents were. Yeah. And you have more exposure and really coming comfortable with that um, so that when you go away to college and you're out of school where you are really the minority mm-hmm. right because you don't feel that in washington heights when everybody's dominican you don't yeah. feel it in harlem you don't even feel it in in this high school in brooklyn that has four thousand kids but there's so many people who look like you but what happens when you go away to and all of a sudden you're part of the two percent were you bilingual in your home did your parents mm-hmm. teach you spanish yes. okay so spanish is my first language i did not learn english probably fluently until i was about six wow. when i was really young my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and because of that while she was going through treatment and you know being a mom of three mm-hmm. um i was shipped to the dominican republic <laughs> so i was sent over there i don't you know i really don't know how long it was mm-hmm. like i think in my head sometimes i'm like six months to a year and how old were you probably three four okay but it could have been a year mm-hmm. um but i i lived with my grandmother out there and at the time my, my cousin was also living out there did your brothers stay they with stayed because okay. they were already in school so when i came back new york city school system uh, our schools were overcrowded and they didn't have a spot for me for kindergarten so i didn't go to kindergarten <laughs> wow you know we had daycare and then in the later afternoon my godbrothers took care of me mm-hmm. my godbrother charlie this is you're gonna laugh it is super interesting he like it was their hustle they were like, we're going to start a school. It's me and it's like my brothers and like all the kids from the neighborhood. This time period of when they're off of school and uh-huh. their parents really aren't home. And they're like, yeah, we're going to start a school. My godmother and my godfather lived in the building next door and they were the superintendents. So they had the basement. They basically made like a little school. And I learned how to read English from my godbrother at like home. And by the time that I went to the first grade, I knew how to read. Like, completely, because... Okay. And so, is that why they allowed you to skip kindergarten? Yeah. So, Charlie, Charlie ended up becoming a teacher. Well, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> A teacher and a pastor. It really helped me out, because 
had I gone into like kindergarten or the first grade, I would have ended up in an ESL class, which I have a lot of feelings about. I just don't think that would have been the best thing for me. So what are your thoughts briefly about ESL classes? This is like, I put this big disclaimer on it. Like, <laughs> this is just from my experience, from what I think. I, I think it does a little bit of a disservice to keep kids in ESL classes. I, I understand one year, but I think you got to get them out and you got to get them in, in fully English speaking classes mm -hmm. because they're just never going to get ahead. Mm. And I kind of saw it in some kids in my school, you know, they were super smart, mm -hmm. but they still struggled with English yeah. even afterwards because it's, you know, Spanish being spoken at home, but you're That's not cool. getting the the infusion of that other language. Um, but I also believe that you need two languages. Yeah. <laughs> so when I hear of schools like taking away the second language programs, I'm like, no, you're again doing a disservice. So you are, you've, you've done the internship, you realize architecture isn't for you. So when you graduated high school, what did you think you wanted to do? You know, it's so funny like having this conversation because mm -hmm. Just, I laugh at how, like, I really bounced around. I didn't have a, a straight line. Um, I think it was political science at the time. Why? Politics was super interesting for me. Um, what was going on at the time that got you interested? Uh, I believe Bush had gotten elected. Okay. So, first election that I'm, I'm allowed to vote in. <laughs> I'm 18 years old. Yeah. It's like Bush. I'm a, I'm a hardcore Democrat. Mm -hmm. So, I also like history. You know, I used to read a lot as a kid. I really like history. It's, again, one of just one of those things that mm -hmm. sticks. And I thought I wanted to be a political science major. I ended up going to school in New York City. I ended up going to Baruch College, which is like a finance school, but I was taking public administration. Again, like after I was in it, some of it was super interesting to me and other things just kind of wasn't. And I was like, okay, I need a job. And I ended up working um, at a trading firm uh, in New York. How did you get that job? So this one is a doozy. <laughs> um, my interview date for this trading firm was on 9-11. And they were at the Mark and the World Financial Center. And I woke up super sick that morning, called the person that I was interviewing with, and left her voice moving like, hey, I can't make it. Fell back asleep, woke up to this, like, you know, the, the apocalypse in New York. Um, my mom thought I had gone down there. My boyfriend thought I had gone down there. Everybody's like going crazy. Yeah. My brother worked down on Wall Street, um, so we couldn't get a hold of him. And was he okay? Was, he was okay. Okay. Uh, he saw one of the towers uh, collapse. Mm -hmm. I had to run in on Fulton Street to a photography store and walk the rest, the rest of the way home, which is like ten miles. Um, so this is a very like sad, super sad time. A couple of days after, maybe a week after, Karina, the HR person, called me and she's like, "Hi." I'm sure you're okay. Um, like, just everyone's kind of like, you know, yeah. just settling. Are you okay? Like, yeah. She's like, you know, we're we're still interested in like seeing you for this interview. Um, our area, you can't access it, but you know, you can go interview with the CEO. Um, and his partner went in, and I met with the CEO of the company in his penthouse. I was 19 at the time, and it was for like an admin job. Mm -hmm. And I went in, and I met with him in his like penthouse. This is like, he was on his way to a funeral for all the people from Canada Fitzgerald since they had lost, you know, all of their, their world It was just a weird time in life. And, you know, we had a great interview by the time that I got home. They, they left me a message 
giving me an offer. And I worked at a trading firm for close to three years. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. It was so weird. I started working there two and a half weeks after 9-11. We'd take the train down to Chamber Street and I'd get out and National Guard would have to walk me to my office because it was through ground zero. I don't know like where the maturity came from to be able to like do and deal yeah. with any of that. Um, I think that's that New York grit. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> you have been doing that since you were like in middle school. So yeah, you... it was, it was very, uh, you know, it was different. The trading firm was just an incredible environment to work at when you're 19. How so? They were a British firm. Um, it was small, the US, the US, particularly New York. You know, we sat trading style. One row, everybody has like seven monitors. Uh, There's 35 phone lines in front of you. Um, they're cursing like sailors. And it was like very high stress. And it was always being able to be this kind of sound, uh, non-stressed out mm-hmm. person in this environment. I was one of two women at the time. So it was Karina and myself. But it was great. It really taught me how to navigate through these different environments. So it was great. And I worked, you know, I worked with Karina. Um, I got promoted in four months. <laughs> I was an assistant. We were a small firm. They gave you, gave me everything. And it was impeding on my school because I went to school at night. The architecture firm that I had worked for um, interned for one day called me. They were like, hey, our, you know, office manager is leaving um nobody knows this place like you do but do you want to come work here Mm -hmm. and at the time it was like you know i wasn't interested in that anymore Mm -hmm. and i was now in this new shiny finance world yeah going to this business school um and i was like well i don't know i was like how much does it pay Mm -hmm. a little bit more than what i was getting i you know negotiated my butt off to stay at the place that i wanted to stay at um and i got a raise and i negotiated study days um and for them to pay for part of my tuition uh what made you think to do that at such a young age so part of it was karina uh karina was my boss but in a lot of ways she's been my mentor there were changes happening at the company which was one of the reasons why i had was given so many more responsibilities Mm -hmm. and this um this guy named paul mcdowell who's amazing and another kind of mentor of mine had moved from Europe to um, to the U.S. to mm-hmm. work for us, and he did finance, and he just gave me all these responsibilities, and he taught me about like accounting and doing their books and everything else. And I had mentioned to Karina, she and I were really friendly, and I sort of started reporting more into Paul than her. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned to her this company that I had worked at that kind of coaching me. She got very nervous. It's <laughs> just like, like you're going. And there were other a couple of things that I had kind of been unhappy about. And that seemed like an easier solution. Mm-hmm. And she kind of tipped off Paul. And, you know, he's like, hey, let's grab lunch one day. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he's like, so are you happy here? Uh, and I just started saying, like, yeah, I was very honest. I was like, well, here are the things that kind of, like, make me unhappy. He's like, so what could get you to a happy place? Yeah. And that's how we negotiated. Uh, okay. It was a really good learning experience for me because I didn't feel like I got things just handed to me. Mm-hmm. I definitely worked and earned that package, that yeah. bump, that whatever. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that you have to say something because companies... They are not going to give it to you, even though they know that they, they should. Because it was so easy for him to be like, okay, yep, 
there you go. They're just not going to give it to you. You have to say something. Um, and it, it taught me to say something. So how did you go from that into the event space? I had another, I had a couple of different transitions, even within okay. my three years there. Uh, at the very end, I was working for their broker dealer, like arm, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't really get off the ground. So I was like studying for my series seven um, and doing a couple mm-hmm. of other things. And um, I got laid off a week before the company officially shut down. Took a couple of time, a little bit of time off and, and started applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ended up um, interviewing for Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, and Barclays and got pretty far along with all of them. Mm-hmm. And all, all the positions were kind of admin plus roles, mm-hmm. is what I call them, because I was still in school. Yeah. Um, and I had gotten an offer from Deutsche Bank and gotten that from Goldman Sachs got this offer from Barclays. Barclays was just perfect. And they were dragging their feet to give me this damn offer, Yolanda. And, you know, I, I got this position and I worked there. I was so happy going into work um, and quickly got a bunch more responsibilities. And then my mom died. So about a year Did her ago, breast cancer come back? No, different thing. Um, but she, uh, she passed away about a year uh, or so into me having the position. Mm-hmm. And it just really changed a lot of things for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was super distracted at school. Um, I ended up leaving school. And as I started getting back into the group, of work um you know it took months for me to kind of get back there I started training for a marathon so I started finding like my group again and I was fundraising I did it with uh team and training oh I did team and training too oh, team and training yeah I did it yeah. what year did I did mine I trained in 2004 and ran in January yeah. 2005 I did it with, yeah I did it with team and training so I was like you know back Back at it again, Saturday long runs. Oh my gosh, I have the worst story with (laughs) team and training. I like, I drank too much water and I had to like pee in someone's yard. Oh, (laughs) all the places that I peed at. (laughs) Well, no, this is like expensive, like (laughs) it was in like Buckhead, Atlanta, big houses. I chose this house because it was like this winding driveway and the house was far back. So I was like, I think that I have enough time and I found a tree, but it was like, this is so, I am an adult. I am not drunk, Yeah. but I'm having to pee in someone's yard because I, I, I was awful with hydrating because I was always nervous about like cramping or yeah. not drinking enough water. And so I like drank way too much water and <laughs> yes. When awful. you, when you stop recording, I'll tell you about my marathon experience. <laughs> And what I thought had happened, which thankfully did not happen. <laughs> um, so I started, so, you know, I started getting this like rhythm and groove back. And part of it was, uh, you know, you're doing fundraising, yeah. you're doing training. So how do you fundraise? Well, you do events. And, you know, I also like looked around at my colleagues and I, I adored my team. They were incredible. They worked really, really hard. My boss was never in town. Um, he had a small kid. And I was just like, like, is this the job that I yeah. A part of what they did was roadshow. So they would go out, take a company, and do six, seven cities in three days, meeting mm-hmm. with investors. We had a roadshow team at Barclays, but I was very controlling of my team. And I held the hand a lot of the marketing department that uh-huh. did. So when they would send me roadshow schedules, I would try them apart. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where we worked really well together um, to make sure that these things were executed mm-hmm. really well. 
Um, and because of that, when there was a position open on the marketing team, they poached me. And I remember, so the reason why I brought up team and training in the marathon training was because I was like, I don't, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I would go on these long runs with everybody that I was training with, and we were just like, they're like therapy sessions. Mm-hmm. We'd start running, and I'd be like, well, here's the, here's the plus side, and here's the downside. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was hourly, but this position wasn't. Because I was hourly, and I worked a shit ton of hours, I got I was like, well, I'm not going to make this much money. And, you know, like I said, like my mom had passed. My dad had passed when I was 11, Mm. 22 years old without a safety net. And to me, it was a big deal to take a pay cut uh, or a potential pay cut. Um, And it was a substantial one. The position was doing um, hospitality, like tickets and merchandise. And I was like, this is so different. It's so interesting. It satiated like the planner in me. Mm -hmm. So in everything, like dotting those I's, crossing those T's, you know, I'm like, this is great. I love working with this team. So I decided to move over. And it was great. Within like two years, that role really, really changed and developed. In that role, which was supposed to be kind of an administrative marketing role, ended up, I ended up creating, building, problem solving. And that is sort of how I ended up really loving my events world and role. Then all of a sudden you're sitting there and we always have our television on with the news and it's like, Barclays putting a bait on Lehman Brothers. <laughs> and you're like turning around and you're like, we're, we're buying a bank? Like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, all the companies that I've worked for that I really liked working for have always been smaller. Yeah. And that was a really interesting time. I just remember working so much. I, there's like certain periods in my career that I can't even quantify or understand how I worked so much. <laughs> I remember get my, I have a dog where I give my dog to my cousin and being like, can you just take care of her for like the next X number of weeks? Because I just don't know mm. like when I'm going to be home or like when anything is happening. I ended up hating my job and I ended up getting an offer from the hospital near my house and just kind of like starting to weigh it out and then having again a really open conversation with the people that I reported to and saying like hey I really love this company because I've been here for a long time and this career that I now have was really because you guys saw something in me and mm-hmm. we made this happen yeah um, but I'm really unhappy. I don't want to be in this particular role. The benefit of acquiring Lehman Brothers is that we acquired a, a Latin American business and we started doing a lot of events in South America. And I was like, hey, like, I want to go on to the conferences and events side. And I'm going to ask it to you because I know Spanish and yeah. I'm doing all this stuff down there. There's only one other person on the team that really knows Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I remember my boss at the time being like, yes, we understand that. No, we don't want you to be unhappy. But also really knowing that they really needed me where I was. We're going to try to make things better. Be patient. Um, and I did. I took a chance. So about a year later, my manager called me and she's like, we're going to move you over to the event side. Started working on like larger conferences right away. So a big joke with my best friend at work was that I never took like events 101. <laughs> you went straight to the big Because I went straight into like doing like a 200 person conference. Wow. Um, as opposed to like packing the boxes for <laughs> everybody like, doing the packing list yeah. or printing the name badges. Like I was just like straight in. So how was that? I mean, for me, it was fine. But when I moved over, I got to do such amazing things. I worked on these programs in Brazil, did things kind of all over the country. I was in a happy place. Yeah. It was great again for a short while. And then, you know, other things start coming into play. I've been here for a long time. And you were at Barclays for a long time. It was close to 10 years. And one of the things that happened um, throughout that time and with the Lehman integration is that, you know, our team before, we didn't really have 
like our, our team structure was very different. And then this became very structured team, very title heavy. And I just became unhappy again. And I didn't really see where the career progression was. And in, in my personal life at the time, had gone through a breakup, went through a really like rough time after breaking up with this person. Mm-hmm. It, it unpacked a lot of feelings. <laughs> like it unpacked a lot of feelings. <laughs> All of my like spheres around my like life were kind of unhappy and kind of around the same time I've had a new roommate. Um, she was awesome. She's from California. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, I started coming out to California with her like the day after Christmas. So like, I'd spend Christmas with my family and I'd come out here and I was like, man, it is warm. <laughs> sunny. <laughs> sunny. People just look happy yeah. in December and January <laughs> over the course of like four or five years. And every time that I'd come out here with her, I'd be like, man, like I really like it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I had put it out into the universe that I wanted to in Cali. I took another trip to Guatemala on vacation um, half the trip was by myself, and then the other half, some friends met me there, mm-hmm. and we were hiking um, a volcano here. We were hiking this volcano that had just erupted, like, five days before, mm-hmm. and I had, like, one of these very surreal moments where I'm, like, I'm standing on a volcano. There's literally hot magma wow. <laughs> under my feet. My, my feet are sweating. You know, we're up there, and I was just thinking about how great I felt. Mm-hmm. And it had just been so long since I felt amazing. Yeah. Um, and I thought to myself, why did I feel so great? Well, it's because I decided to take this trip. And I hiked a volcano, and I was like, I can do whatever it is that I want. And I got back to New York, and I went into work. I was on the train. I was crying because I just didn't want to be there. And I called my brother, and I was like, like I just can't do this anymore he goes okay like you've been unhappy for a while he's very like very very pragmatic pragmatic, right Mm -hmm. you've been unhappy for a while so why don't you just like make a plan Lynette like you're a planner make a plan so it's like you're right next day get on the train cry on the train (laughs) and I'm like I text him and I was like can't do it (laughs) can't do it just I told my boss and I was like can't do this anymore. And she was amazing. And she was like, so what's your plan? And I was like, I'm going to move to California. <laughs> like, I'm moving. Were you freaked out? You know, no. I think I wasn't freaked out because the day that I went in and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the probably the ballsiest shit I've ever done in my life. Yeah. But I think I felt a lot of comfort. So my plan <clears throat> was... I was going to take six months off and have this love letter goodbye to New York because mm-hmm. I was going to move. When people look back, they're like, you never, you never not work. You know, things are really much, they're harder out there than what you think, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I didn't graduate college. I like, you know, you get filtered out of all of these mm-hmm. things. And I was like, no. I was like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take these six months off. You know, in my head, I was like, I'm going to do all these things. I wrote down, I was at dinner with my brother and his girlfriend, and I wrote down this, like, my New York City bucket list. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I did for, for a couple of months. What um, were some of those things? Oh, my God. Like, top of the Empire State Building. I had never gone there. I had a picnic in Central Park. Loved doing mm-hmm. that before. The Yankee games. All this stuff. I did a Bikram yoga challenge. So I did it for, like, 40 straight days. It was supposed to be 30. And for me, I had done Bikram yoga 
very inconsistently in the past mm-hmm. and there was always somebody in the room that was doing this 30-day challenge and mm-hmm. I was like shit I'm gonna do a 30-day yeah. challenge um towards the end of that I went to Spain and Portugal for a couple of weeks and uh a great thing happened though I was there I you know I was traveling by myself and I met five people from LA shut up and I was like this is a sign this is a sign because <laughs> you're going to have people that you know yeah. when you get but there you know, and I got back to New York and I was like, okay, I'm ready. And I booked that flight for October 29th. I packed three suitcases up. My sister stayed living um, in the apartment that I had. She stayed with my dog at first. And I came in, I landed here and went to Palmdale, California. To Where live. is that? It's an hour away from LA. Okay. To live with my friend's mom. Mm-hmm. Because when she found out that I was moving, she was like, you're staying with me until you get your visa. I had always said, I'm going to get a job in a month, guys. People are like, yeah, yeah good luck. Good luck. <laughs> it's going to take you longer. Prep yourself for that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get a job in a month. Like, I don't understand what you, like, I don't get it, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I was like, you know, I was like, I've got the experience. And the beautiful thing about events is an event planner will never go broke. I swear. Because you can always freelance. How did you, did you find a job in a month? I did. How did you find a job? And then... Talk to me about the freelancing yeah. event planning. Saw this position from the creative group. So they're an agency. Read it. Uh, 10 years experience in financial services for your manager. Hello. <laughs> and I called. I didn't apply online. I went. I found the phone number. I called them. And I was like, hi. You guys just posted this ad for somebody with 10 years financial experience in investment banking for an event manager. I've got 10 years financial experience in investment making as an event manager. Yeah. You're not going to find this anywhere else in LA because it's not, it's not the role here. Mm-hmm. It's not the industry that that's here. That's here. Yeah. And the guy was like, well, send me your resume and maybe we'll call you back. So I send it right away. Mm-hmm. Like 10, five minutes later, the he's calling me back. <laughs> She's like, hi. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> so I just like go through a very abbreviated version of what you and I have spoken. And she's like, are you free tomorrow? And I went in and I met with like the head recruiter. And she's like, oh my God. I did the pressure thing with them. Also, I was like, I'm going back to New York for my uh, my niece's birthday. You know, they gave me the offer before I got on the plane. I came home. I mean, like, I was like, guys, got a job in a month. Like I said. Like I said. And... It was incredible. The head of the events team had been there for 18 years. The team was really small. It was her and one person, which was me, mm-hmm. and we worked inside of a marketing team. She died a month into me working at the company. Was she sick? She was sick, which is the other reason why they were so hard-pressed to like hire someone. Oh, because they wanted someone to get trained. Oh and gosh. she and I actually only spent three days in person together because she went out on medical leave right away. I landing in LA... The six months went exactly as I had planned it. So just like, it was just absolutely insane. It was super emotional too. This woman had been there for 18 years. She was incredible. She created the events team. Um, And then here comes this like New York little whippersnapper. Doesn't know what she was doing. Doing everything completely different. But I was getting really burnt out. At this point, I I think I had lost that ballsiness that I had had before. California made you so... It might have made me soft. I, you know, when I, like, this is therapeutic for me right now. Because I'm like, why, why, what, what happened to the, to the guts that I had? Yeah. And I think part of it was, yeah, it was a little bit softer. I felt, like, put it this way. She passed away. They sent an email out to the entire company saying that I was, res- I was taking on over her responsibilities. I didn't get a pay raise. I didn't get a title bomb. 
Mm. I didn't get support for nine months. I wasn't able to hire somebody to support me for nine months for a team that was supposed to be of two. And I kept plugging through. And I think for me, I felt really wrong going in and being like, hey, you have to do this A, B, C, and D, even though I kind of had them by the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of her. Because I felt like it was wrong to get this benefit because somebody had passed away. You know, in retrospect, I think about it and I was like, no, because I still kept that shit moving at my own expense, at my own life, my time, my first year here. Like my body was physically going through stress. I remember getting mm-hmm. to a point where like I was going to the doctor and I was like, I don't feel well. And she's like, you know, these things are, they're, they're caused by stress. Whether it's the eye twitch or the grinding of the teeth, uh, like hormonal cysts in my breasts, you know? And I was, she's like, these are all induced by stress. And she's like, you gotta get, get rid of it. I had to leave. If ever I thought I was not capable of doing something, I fucking learned my lesson that I completely was. I was like, I can, I can fucking do anything. I stepped into this person's shoes without skipping a beat. And I know what, like, you know, the downside of that, but I also know, like, what I was able to do. And the break was supposed to be one month. And people were like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I can't, can't go back into an office right now. Like, I just need to, like, chill out. I was like, no, I'm going to freelance. And so then how did you find freelancing gig? This one was actually straight up networking. I went to uh, Catalina Island with a bunch of event planners. So the, how did you know about this? Yeah. So I met this amazing group of women at the investment bank because I was the only person. Hotel salespeople, they come in all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I had an interesting story whenever they came in. Oh, brand new from New York whippersnapper this person died on the one that you have to deal with they all felt bad for me i actually ended up forging some professional friendships through this network they were my resource when i was like oh i'm stuck in a restaurant like where do i go i had nobody in la i'd flip them an email and be like hey i'm looking for this any like any recommendations Mm -hmm. and they do the same for me hey i'm heading out to the east coast i need blah 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 that kind of network of people i ended up getting invited to an event planner trip to catalina island and I'm on the boat and I'm there with a bunch of other planners. And they're like, so what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a freelance event planner because <laughs> yeah. I am, you know, well, what are you working on? Well, I'm not really working on anything right now. <laughs> um, and, you know, we spent the entire day together just sharing experiences, the things that we do. Uh, a week later, one of them called me. They're like, hey, we are, um, my company just picked up this really big project where we're going to need consultants to come work for us, which do you want to apply? And I ended up working on a horse jumping competition and it was insane, super busy, really interesting, a whole different world. Yeah. Um, and I met through there, the, the other consultants, you know, they're now my very close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we met and we would, the project was based on the Long Beach. So we only had to be there one day a week. I realized that working in your house is very lonely. Uh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And working at cafes is very expensive. Because <laughs> you feel bad about, like, you have to buy something. Because you're like, I'm, like, using your electricity and yeah. I'm taking up a spot. So then you buy yourself. And then it's like, wow, this is a lot of money yeah. that you're spending. And that you're spending. And um, so what we would do is we would basically co-work. <laughs> at someone's house. house. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend Sasha would come over. She'd come at like 10 mm-hmm. and, we, you know, she'd bring some groceries. I'd have some groceries um, and we would just work together. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd work on projects. She and I, part of our roles overlap. So we made sure that those were the days that we worked on those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that. And, you know, we had this great project um, through them. 
my next opportunity kind of came where it was JP Morgan was looking for a consultant for a couple of months. So now I had gone from like this really kind of awesome environment of like at an arena with horses and working out of my house and then sometimes working into an office and kind of testing out that sort of vibe mm-hmm. to then consulting again for a bank. I ended that consulting gig and I had kind of felt a little bit beat up by LA at this point. You know, when I landed, I was like, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. But the last thing out of that was I wanted to buy a condo here. So like, I looked at the end of meeting at JP Morgan. I was like, okay, I'm like two and a half years in professionally. Do I feel like I've really advanced? Felt like very kind of flat. So is it time for me to take my foot off of that gas and see what comes? What's like, what's the universe really planning for me? Like, let me, let me run the universe's course as opposed to like steering it. So JP Morgan was done. And I just kind of said, and I said it out loud. I was like, okay, I'm going to take the next couple of months. I'm going to kind of see what's out there here in LA and in New York. Well, <laughs> the universe ran its course. Um, and I got a text message from one of these women that I had met who was a hotel person who I stayed in contact with, different than the person that invited me on the boat. Okay. She was like, hey, uh, the startup who I'm friends with, the co-founders, they're looking for a director of events. Do you know of anybody? This is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of interested. She's like, oh, I didn't think that you would be. Okay. Um, I'm going to send them your info. Um, it was very different interviewing style. I was so interested, right? So mm-hmm. it's like... What was it about it that made you interested? Yeah, so I was like, okay, so you are a co-working space, but you do events. And Dan is really, really passionate about, about events. And that's just really refreshing. And the one line that he just like hooked me in with was, he goes, events are part of our DNA. It is what sets us apart from other spaces. And it was different than the role that I was doing because it's being on the venue side. And I have had zero okay. sales experience. Mm-hmm. The only thing I've ever sold is myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that's a major part of what it is that my like role does. It's yeah. selling the space. And I was super curious. I was like, can I do that? Mm-hmm. And I saw... An event in person and that was like the best experience for me like i walked into the co-working the way that we were set up mm-hmm. and i saw it completely transform over to an event and i drove that night to san diego to a friend's wedding my friends were like what do you think about this position and i was like it is different i haven't done sales before i don't necessarily agree with the way that they do things uh like the vision that kind of was put out there for me and the way that I, as an event manager, planner, conference coordinator, I only get the space an hour before. You are crazy. <laughs> I don't get to be on stage the day before. To, oh, like, no. no way. My friends were like, well, it doesn't sound like you want this job. I was like, oh, no, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was writing this email to my team because I was like, wow. This is how we kicked off 2017. We did a Super Bowl commercial for Amazon in which Jeff Bezos was walking around. Mm-hmm our campus really yeah we did a super bowl commercial oh i need to see this commercial over the weekend you'll see it during the super bowl okay oh yeah the super bowl hasn't happened yeah. which location did he downtown and <gasps> shut up we had pete souza like mm-hmm. literally inspire <sighs> like yeah, there wasn't a dry eye mm-hmm. and then we had a double header with rachel roy that night and on top of that there were other events happening on the other campuses and business kept going and it made me so excited for what the rest of the year is going to look like. 
So now we're gonna switch over to what I call like rapid fire. So I'm gonna ask you a few questions and then you tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay, so five apps or services you can't live without. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh-oh, take a note. I just tell you that I thought it was like Instagram, mm-hmm. except that last week, I did a January cleanse and I deleted all of my social media apps mm. off my phone. Yeah. On my phone. Mm-hmm. You still just have them, but phone. just on your phone. It's just off different. my phone. And I thought, you know, I went for it like however many times and I thought it was going to be it. So I think so, like the social media apps were the, like the thing that I thought I had to have. Yeah. It's not. Um, Spotify mm. is like, I gotta, have it. I gotta have it. On a daily basis, it is what just gets me going. I have a mm-hmm. speaker pretty much in every room in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's music going 24-7. I think just iMessage. I know this sounds really funny, but just like just yeah, the but texting yeah. capability uh, really keeps me going too. I love just staying connected. Um, living out here on the West Coast, I'm not in the same time zone as my friends and family. There is honestly not a time of day that I can actually get on the phone and have a dedicated conversation with Mm -hmm. most of my loved ones. What's another app or service? This could sound really funny, but like a service, getting my nails done. (laughs) I'm slacking right now. Mm -hmm. And this sounds really funny, but it's just really a part of just the way that you your aesthetic, the way that you look and carry yourself. I notice it on people all the time. I do too, especially on men. Mine look awful. How did you find your your salon here? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, traveled a lot, needed a dog sitter. Uh, I used Rover, the, the app. Built a really great relationship with this couple. The girl, her nails looked bomb. I had worked in banking forever. So you I couldn't do that. I never got to do anything fun with my nails. And yeah. then I was here and I was like, oh shit. I can have colors. colors. I have colors. <laughs> I was like, where do you go? And she's like, oh, I go to this place called Nailed It. Um, my girl's not there anymore. Her name is Sophia. Follow her on Instagram. Lipstick and mixtapes. But yeah, like getting my nails done and just having that, you know, that time to mm-hmm. not do anything, right? You mm-hmm. can't type. You have to like be in person, <clears throat> connecting with someone. You're doing something to make you aesthetically look and feel better. So definitely getting my nails done. Um, Amazon Prime. Um, other than that, I don't. Really, no, I don't think anything really is like top of mind that I like absolutely can't like the service mm-hmm. that I absolutely can't do without. Those, that's that, that is it. Those are that's my day. <laughs> that's my week. <laughs> who are your possibility models? So these are women of color who show you it's possible to live your dreams, or it could be someone that you think more people need to know about. Okay, so one of them is actually my aunt, she's technically. My cousin, my my mom and her cousin were raised like brother and sisters. And this is his wife. All through my childhood, she and I had like a really close bond. And she's another person who, who didn't have kids of her own. She was just super interesting to me. She was the the breadwinner in the house. Um, but yet their house felt very balanced mm. at home. So it, there was never like power, okay. ego, yeah. none of that. But she was definitely like the breadwinner. Okay. You know, stocked her trips, retired young mid-50s. During her career, she used to manage housing projects mm-hmm. in New York. So she worked for for the housing development. She managed like this massive project. So like she had a lot of responsibility 
on her that she loved writing. So she would also teach at universities, teach mm -hmm. literature, and write her own books. And she would self-publish. Um, in Spanish, she's, she's written like four or five of them. They retired. They moved back down to the Dominican Republic. And she just has this like beautiful penthouse with my uncle. There's art absolutely everywhere. <laughs> she's got this study and she just deep dives and does research for her books. And they travel because they really didn't do it yeah. before. And I'm just like, that just sounds lovely. She worked really hard. She still had a very like balanced life while she was working. She retired young and she's still living her life and doing these beautiful things. Immigrant families, especially from the Caribbean, are really interesting because they come to the U.S. They want to work really, really hard. But they just like burn themselves out and they don't enjoy themselves afterwards. Yeah. And seeing them do it is mm -hmm. like, this is beautiful. Okay, so if people want to find you online, where should they go? Okay, so Instagram, I'm El Coste, L-C-O-S-T-E. Uh, LinkedIn's a good one. I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty active in LinkedIn. If I'm not posting a lot, I'm definitely reading and reaching out and connecting with people. Um, I'm super open to in-mail. Mm -hmm. I, I take my time to respond back to it. All right, I'll put links to those in the show notes for your episode. Awesome. Okay, so final question. Okay, awesome. The name of this podcast is How She Did It. If you could go back in time and give yourself some career advice, what would you say? Ooh. See, like, instinctually, I'd probably say, like, have more direction, right? Like, have more of a plan. Um, but you've done all these cool things. But, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I think, like, instinctually, like, remember the control freak, I want to steer yeah. the ship and think, you know like have more direction. Um, I think that's like what I would say, but in reality, it's um, to, to take some of the chances that I took earlier. And I don't know if the outcome would have been the same. I was really, really mature at a young age. And part of that was just life things, mm -hmm. part of it was uh, the experiences. And I feel like I've gotten less mature as I got older, <laughs> which I'm totally fine yeah. with. Mm -hmm. um, you're you're like Benjamin Button in reverse. <laughs> I, I made that big bold move at 32, and it's like, what would that move have been like at 28? You know, because um, now you know, I, and I still obviously I still have the energy. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while, I'm like, man, like, is this battery gonna run out? <laughs> I really think about that, and I'm like, I don't know, like, is this battery gonna run out? I still feel full of energy, full of life, but. If, yeah. if this was like at 28, would I be yeah. Yeah. kicking more ass than what I am right now? Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of wonder those those things, and it's it's you know not being afraid to take chances kind of earlier. And that's the show. For links to the things we discussed in this episode, go to yolandaenoch.com forward slash. 12. The background music for this episode is Lip Gloss by Pontington Bear.